Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life. Our aim, our heart, is to provide some biblical wisdom, biblical teaching that's clear and down-to-earth, understandable, set in the context of everyday life to help you and I and people like us learn how to follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. As I like to call it, it's Blue Jeans Theology, Theology for Everyday Life. And in addition to the podcast, I've got the listener's commentary that teaches straight through Bible books. So if you're reading through Colossians or Ephesians or 1 Corinthians, Romans, I just launched Matthew on the commentary. So if you're working through any of these books, the listener's commentary would guide you through that. I've got a free resource on the website entitled Bible and Life that is really just uh, intended to be a guide to help you read the Bible well. And it gives strategies for for understanding the Bible and strategies for putting the Bible into practice in our life. And that's totally free on my website at johnwhitakernet as well. And so the goal of all of that, as I said, is to help us live as good disciples of Jesus and follow Jesus right where we live every day. So I'm really glad you're joining me on this episode. We're kind of in just a, call it if you will, a little mini series. Last week we talked about uh, the idea of right and wrong and what makes something right and what makes something wrong. And it's not just because it's in the Bible and we don't want to tell people, well, you know, the Bible says and just think that in and of itself solves the debate as if just because it's in the Bible, it's automatically right. That actually gets the order incorrect. Uh, it's not right because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's right um, when the Bible actually prescribes something for us to do. And so uh, we need to understand what the Bible actually is. We also need to understand who we are as human beings. And we said in our episode last week that right and wrong has an awful lot to do with our nature as human beings, as well as the nature of God and how those two things match up. Well, I'm glad you're joining me in this episode because kind of a follow-up to that is this question, why do you exist? What are you here for? Where are you going in life? Like, what's the, the, the end goal of human existence corporately, but and more specifically, individually, for you, for me, for every single human being currently alive who has ever lived, who ever will live, what is the end goal of our human existence? Why are we here? And, and help us think about that. Let me tell you a little story. Happened a number of years ago when my daughter was dating her now husband. So they were boyfriend and girlfriend. They were dating. Uh, and his name is Joseph. And Joseph uh, wanted to take us catfishing. We had never been catfishing before, but he had gone catfishing a few times with his grandpa. And he kind of had a vague idea of this place that his grandpa used to take him. Uh, knew what it was called, but didn't really know how to get there. Uh, and told us, you need to go catfishing at night. That's when it's best. And so we're going to go catfishing at this place about an hour or so away from our house. Uh, get my iPhone out, <clears throat> put the, the name of the little reservoir lake area where he said, let's go catfishing there. Um, and uh, we start to drive there. And uh, all of a sudden, as we get 45 minutes out of town, we're beginning to get a little bit closer. My iPhone starts giving me directions, turn here, turn there, right? And I'm like, this doesn't feel right, but I will follow my iPhone. And uh, next thing you know, we're on this dirt road and we follow this dirt road. And, and Joe's like, I think this is right. This kind of feels right. And before you know it, we're driving along and on the left-hand side of the road, there's cornfields. And on the right-hand side of uh, car, there's cornfields. I'm like, 
that's weird. We're driving down this dirt road. And then the next thing you know, there's the center pivot for a large, you know, farmer's sprinkler system, circular sprinkler system for his cornfields that we're driving next to. And it's dark. We can't totally see what we're doing. And then all of a sudden we get to the end of the road and there's a fence. There's no reservoir, no lake, no place to catfish, just the end of a dirt road in the middle of a farmer's field. We get out of the car, we look around, and way off in the distance, Joe can see what he thinks is a lake. He said, I think that's it over there, but there's no way to get there from where we are. So we have to backtrack uh, a good 15, 20 minutes back through this farmer's field, down this dirt road to get back to the highway, and then try to figure out where in the world we're at and how to get to this lake. The reality is, is if you don't know where you are going, you can't get there, right? If you don't know where you're going, you can't get there. It doesn't matter where there is. If you don't know where there is, how are you ever going to arrive there? What do you actually, I mean, at least we had some general idea and we, uh, we put the directions in the phone, put the destination in the phone. It's just our phone didn't know how to get there. Uh, and got us completely lost and at a dead end in the middle of a farmer's field. Um, if you don't even have that, if you don't even have the name of a destination, that, that makes it even worse, right? And uh, this is true even if you have a vague idea of where you're heading. Like I remember our first backpacking trip. It was the summer of 1996, and uh, my brother, myself, uh, my father-in-law, as well as a guy from the church we were attending and one of his sons, I'll decide, let's take a backpacking trip. And I'd never backpacked before, but I did have a large backpack uh, and had some gear, too much gear. Over the years, I got much better at having lightweight gear. And we knew we were going to the Red Mountain Lakes. And the guy who really knew how to, how to get to them was the other guy from the church. His name was Ron. And he was going to be the one that kind of was going to... Um, and make sure we got to the right spot. He had been there before. He knew where he was going. Here's the problem. My brother and I were in our 20s. We were the young bucks. We were energetic. We put our packs on and we, uh, those older guys were just going too slow for us. And so we went on ahead and we had a little map, a little tiny kind of pencil sketched map of where we were supposed to go. We had a vague idea of where we we're going. We knew the name of the place. The problem was you're backpacking in Alpine Mountains in Idaho, and the trails are not nearly as clear-cut as the little uh, line-drawn map made it seem. And the result was, my brother and I missed a turnoff. And uh, then, all of a sudden, we're climbing really high, and we're like, this doesn't feel right. My legs were given out, and so we decided to stop and take a break. And while we did, my brother kind of went on a little reconnaissance trip and he could see a lake down over the ridge from where we were at. He said, I bet that's our lake. And so we went off trail. We went right down over the ridge, um, landed in the middle of a boulder field. And uh, then we had to climb over these massive, massive boulders with our huge packs on. Um, and uh, after a while, my, I just couldn't keep going. And so my brother dropped off his pack at the lake, came back, got my pack, carried my pack the rest of the way. And we made our way to this lake but no one else ever showed up. And we ended up spending that first night at the lake by ourselves, without anyone else and not knowing where they were and them not knowing exactly where we were. Now, they, they actually uh, got up on a hill, saw where we were at, and so they knew we'd be all right for the, the night and they figured they would come and get us in the morning. 
The next morning, my brother and I climbed our way back out, retraced our steps, found where we missed our turnoff, and ended up getting back to uh, where they were camping at. Um, but even if you have sort of a rough, vague idea of where you're going, it can still be hard to get to the right spot. And this isn't just true with backpacking or catfishing or taking any sort of uh, walk or trip, right? This is true for your human life and for my human life. Where are we supposed to be going? What's the destination we're supposed to put in to tell us, here's where you got to get to in life? Now, I want to make sure you understand that this isn't just uh, something that is, each one of us can decide for ourselves. You don't get to choose. I want to go to this lake, to, right? I don't want to go to this destination to, for you know, the end goal of my human existence. We don't get to decide this for ourselves. Um, I'm convinced, and history tells the truth, philosophers and, uh, and theologians have wrestled this for, for centuries. This is the universal human question. Why are we here? What is the purpose of human existence? And if you subscribe to, you know, naturalism or some other form of atheism, what's the answer? Why are you here? In naturalism, atheism, the answer is there is no reason for you to be here. There is no purpose to your existence. You do you. That's, that's the answer for naturalism and atheism. You do you. And when you hear someone say that today, whether, you know, whether they call themselves a follower of Jesus or not, whether they call themselves an atheist or not, you do you is the only worldview in which that makes sense is something like naturalism or atheism, where there is no defined purpose. There is no end goal for human existence. You just get to choose whatever you want to do. You do whatever feels good to you. And for some people, that looks like being uh, decent, good, helpful, altruistic. For other people, it looks like being hedonistic and self-serving and self-promoting and you know having a blast while you last. You do you. Uh, but that, that idea, you do you, that's unlivable. It doesn't work. And the vast majority of human beings have rejected this whole idea at a, at a practical level. They have rejected the idea of that whole idea of doing whatever feels good, whatever, because it's just not livable. It doesn't work. It actually drives human beings mad, crazy. Why? Because we are creatures seeking for meaning. We are creatures that seem hardwired for a purpose, for a reason for our existence. And if there is no purpose, if there is no meaning, we, we get despondent, we get depressed, we get suicidal, we get crazy, right? Like, uh, it doesn't work for us to just kind of come up with our own destination, our own purpose of our existence. And philosophers of all types have wrestled with this question for, for centuries. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? And every individual comes to some conclusion about that. You have some conclusion about that. We all do. Every single human who has ever existed has some conclusion about that. So, where are you going? Why are we here? What's the end goal of human existence? Let's just explore that in a couple different ways before I give you what I think um, is the Jesus-centered approach to that. Uh, a famous kind of uh, really mathematician, philosopher, uh, and he was, a, he was a Christian himself, Blaise Pascal, uh, 
Blaise Pascal um, actually said this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all aim towards this end. The cause of some people going to war and other people avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They both are aiming at ultimate happiness. They just have different views of what's going to actually bring that about. Though, here's the really important sentence. The will of a human being never takes the least step in any direction except towards this object, happiness. This is the motive of every action, of every person, even of those, he says, who hang themselves. What do you think? Would you agree with Pascal or not? Uh, he's not saying that should be the case. He's just saying that's just sort of natural. Um, what Pascal is getting at is that we just cannot help but make decisions and choices for what we believe, uh, not even in the short run, but ultimately will bring about happiness. So whatever action we take, we take because we're convinced that it's going to bring about greater happiness for us and for others. And ultimately, when we say for others, we're thinking that's good for us too. Um, I've thought a lot about what Pascal has said, and I could see at a practical level, that's just kind of true. And I think that's past what Pascal is getting at. He's just making an observation, right? He's just making an observation about the way human beings function, the way we operate. In fact, Aristotle, famous philosopher who lived a few centuries before Jesus, Aristotle actually said that the, the goal of life was happiness. He used the Greek word eudomania for that, um, which, by which he meant the truly good life that was actually going to bring happiness. So what if someone said, well, my, my goal in life, the purpose in life is to be happy. I think Pascal is making an observation about the way we function, but I think we have to be very careful about saying that the goal of life, my purpose in life is to be happy. Again, even as Pascal observes that um, people have different views about what's going to bring happiness. And for some, that leads to self-restraint and self-giving. To others, that leads to uh, pleasure and self-seeking. And so I'm not so sure we want to go the exact direction and take what Pascal said and turn that into our ultimate goal for life. So, as a follower of Jesus, where are we going? Why are we here? Now, the Bible intends to pass on for us a worldview, uh, a way of seeing life and seeing the world and seeing history and seeing our own human existence and uh, it, it tends to pass on a worldview to us that has an answer to that question. Every worldview has an answer to this question. What is the end goal of human existence? Why are we here? Remember, we said this isn't like a, a religious answer. Um, <clears throat> this isn't an individualistic answer. You pick your end goal. I'll pick my end goal. And we each get to come up with our own thing. What the Bible is passing on by that is saying, here is why human beings are here on planet Earth in total. Every human being, this is why we're here. And if we don't get this right, then it becomes a real problem. In last week's episode of The Bible in Life, we talked about right and wrong, which sort of describes, as I said, proper functioning. But what if what if your, your human machine functioned properly? It is a complete hypothetical. What if 
Never had an issue. Never had a misfire. Always worked right. Uh, perfectly right. We know that's not the case, right? We all make mistakes. We all mess up. We all do things wrong. We all sin. But for our example, just imagine, what if we work perfectly right? But we never actually arrived at the destination we were supposed to arrive at. Imagine you have a beautiful, restored uh, car. It hums perfectly. Seats are beautiful. The paint job is perfect. And it just sits in your garage and never does anything except to be turned on so people can listen to the purr of the engine. Is that car achieving the end goal for which cars were created? Uh, of course not. If you have a car that just sits in your driveway and never goes anywhere, never takes you places, it's not, it's not fulfilling its purpose. And the same is true with human beings. So proper functioning is one part of successful human living, right? Like doing the things that we're supposed to do is part of uh, a successful human living. But the other part of it is arriving at the proper destination. So what's that destination? And let me begin to answer that with a simple little line from Colossians chapter 1. And there's little lines like this all throughout the New Testament. There are lines that are really easy for us to not push pause on and not think through the implications of. But we need to. We need to push pause on these short little almost toss away lines and realize they're very significant. So let me read just one example of these kind of lines I'm thinking of from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says this, speaking about Jesus, it says, well, let me pick up in verse 15 so you get the whole context. Verse 15, Colossians 1 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then verse 16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. Now here we catch this. All things have been created through him and for him. It's that last little bit. All things have been created through him. He's the maker of everything, but he's also the one for whom they're created, for his purposes, for his reasons, for his honor, right? Like for him. And you'll find that kind of line in various places throughout the New Testament. All things have been created for him. That he, in some sort of way, is the definer of, the determiner of, and in a certain sense, the ultimate goal of everything that has been created. They've all been created for him. Um, and that means, since we're part of all things that have been created, you and I and every human that has ever listed, we're part of the creation, we have been created. We exist for him. And you'll find this sort of thing scattered throughout both the Old and New Testaments. And so, for the sake of time, let me just, let us just kind of think back to the original creation, because that's what Colossians is doing there in chapter one. Let's think back to Genesis one and two, when God first created human beings, why did he create us? How are we described? What's our purpose? What's our end goal? And so when you think of Genesis 1, think, for example, of Genesis 1, 26, that God says, let us, um, let us make mankind in our image, in the image of God. Let us make them. He, he creates them in the image of God. 
Um, and so part of, we have to think about the what the image of God is, and we'll talk more about that in next week's episode, and we'll have a special guest to help us do that. Uh, but uh, we are created in God's image, or maybe better, as God's image. And what does that mean? That means that we are to reflect God. We are to be the visible representation of God on earth. That's the idea of what it means to be created in his image. We are to be the visible representation, the visible expression of God, the creator, on earth. Um, And when you read through Genesis chapter 2, and you look at what's happening in Genesis 2, God places Adam and Eve in the garden and brings them together. And now together as male and female, they are to image God into this world. And you look at the beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis, and God is walking with them uh, regularly in the cool of the evening. And they, they they are in partnership with him. And in that by that partnership, they are to then carry out God's will and work on the earth, right? And you see Adam in chapter 2, naming the animals, no suitable helper found. And their job is to, to in partnership with God, carry out or extend and put into place God's wisdom, God's rule on earth. That's what human beings were created to do according to Genesis 1 and 2. So when it says that we were created by God and for God, that's the picture as it shows up in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So let me put it in a very simple, clear sentence for you and for I. Why? According to the Bible, according to the worldview throughout the Bible, why did God originally create human beings? This this tells us... um, our our human purpose, the end goal for which you and I and every your next door neighbor, the neighbor across the street, your coworker, whether they know it or not, whether they know God or not, if what the Bible says is true, here is the end goal for every human being. It's this: to participate in the life of God, so that we can extend the reign of God, the rule of God, into the whole world. In a nutshell, I mean, you could say it a variety of ways, but that's what Genesis 1 and 2 is portraying. That's what a simple little phrase like Colossians 1.16 is getting at when it says we exist for God. It means we exist to participate in the life of God, to, to live in partnership with him, to, to uh, be connected to God's life and, and what God is doing and what God values and what God is all about. So we're to participate in the very life of God, to live in partnership with him and say, God, I want to join you in your life. I want to join you in what you're doing, to participate in the life of God so that we can extend, and so that we can further and implement and carry out, right, extend the rule and the reign of God into the whole world, all throughout the whole world. So imagine your little sphere of influence, the little place where you functionally are like a little queen or a little king, where you have a a measure of kind of control over your little dominion, your little realm. Your job in that little realm is to 
like Adam and Eve, walk with God in the cool of the evening. You're, you're to live in partnership with, with God, to live in partnership with the life of God and to invite God not into your life, but really you're being invited into his life and say, God, I want my life to be an extension of your life. I want what you care about to be to matter here. So you're, you're uh, living in partnership with the life of God in your little domain so that in that sphere of influence, you can extend the wisdom and the grace, the rule and the reign of, of the creator God into your little realm, your sphere of influence. That's why you exist. That's why I exist. Um, and when you begin to think about that, that's, that's far bigger than just going to church. That's even far bigger than having a relationship with God. That's, that's our relationship, our partnership, our participating in his life and being involved in his life. That's so that in and through us, in all our various factors, our social world, our family life, our vocational and work life, our neighborhood life and community life, um, so that in all these various places that are part of our, our domain, our realm, God's wise reign, God's gracious loving rule can be extended just a little bit more into this whole world. And if all of us as followers of Jesus said, that's what I'm about, I am in partnership with God to let him form me and transform me and teach me and shape me so that through this partnership with him, I begin bit by bit, more by more to extend his reign into the world. Can you imagine how much more honor God would get in the world and how much more glory Jesus would receive? So that's why you exist. That's why I exist. We exist to participate in the life of God so that through us, God can extend his reign and rule into the world. And ultimately, that's what it means to be the image of God. More on that in next week's episode of The Bible and Life. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible and Life podcast. Uh, just a reminder, Bible and Life is made possible because people are generous, like God is generous. And so thanks a ton for your generosity. I am incredibly grateful to you for that. Uh, and I know from the emails I receive, many people are as well, that God is bearing good fruit because of your generosity. So thanks a ton for that. May God bless you for it. I look forward to talking with you again next week.